If you would like a reflection on our gospel today, I would invite you to go back and listen to last week's sermon, uh, preempting already that, uh, that gift that Mother Church calls to us of taking up prayer and fasting and almsgiving during the Lenten season and seeing that they come from Adam and Eve, that they are you know, seen once again in our blessed Lord's temptations, and that we too are not immune, we are not exempt from the temptations of the evil one who comes to, to do the same things. Uh, and so for us, Mother Church gives us those remedies. So I encourage you, if you didn't, if you didn't hear that or if you have not heard uh, that understanding before, uh, then please to, to go and avail yourself of, uh, of the sermon last Sunday. But today we resume our reflections on the meditations of the Holy Rosary. Today beginning, of course, the sorrowful mysteries, reflecting today upon the agony in the garden, the fruit of which is a sorrow for sin or contrition. We know that, the scriptures tell us, it all began in the garden, in the garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were tempted by the evil one and fell, and thus sin came into the world and all of its consequences. We know too, the scriptures tell us, that it ends in a garden. The passion of our blessed Lord begins with the agony in Gethsemane, but it also concludes there in so many ways. In a garden, man opened the wound, a chasm between God and, and, and us. In the garden, Christ comes to begin to close it. The consequences of the fall were that sweat would come upon the brow of the man, that thorn and thistles would rise from the ground. They would have to suffer and toil, and in the end would suffer death. And in the same manner, the path of our redemption is that another man, the God-man, would come and he too would have sweat on his brow, but also mingled with his blood. He would soon be donned with the thorns and thistles in his crown, and he too would be buried. In the midst of all of these things unfolding, the disciples sleep. They are unaware of the mysteries of what is taking place before them. Certainly the Lord has spoken about it. He's prepared them in so many ways. He's referenced it, and usually they're rather confused, just kind of storing in the back of their mind, hoping that at some point it will all come together and the pieces will make sense and the puzzle will be clear. But tonight they sleep. And then agony, they miss the realities. They miss the, the, the Lord praying to the Father. They miss the angels again ministering to our blessed Lord, presumably as the devil is again making his last stand to be able to tempt the Lord to turn away. And how easy it is for us also to fall to our slumber and soul, to miss the things of God, and to not see what it is that is actually taking place within us, through us, and all around us, the reality of sin. The Garden of Gethsemane in Jerusalem is still present there. One can go there and cross, its, uh, across the, across the valley, as the scriptures tell us, from the temple. So basically across the hill, you can see, sit, in, sit in, the, in Gethsemane and look over and see where the temple would be. And the olive trees are still there, the roots of which date back to before the time of our Lord. The gates are, are, there are gates up now to protect and preserve everything, otherwise the high traffic certainly would, would likely kill them and people coming to take a little souvenir home with them would strip the trees bare in no time. But the garden is still there. The place where our blessed Lord went with the eleven, Judas off to do his heinous deed, 
and there to go pray. He went to the garden, and then taking the three again, Peter, James, and John, went off a little distance to be able to pray. The little distance is indeed a little distance. It's indeed probably no farther from this side of the church to that side of the church. The reality is that there's a large stone that's there where our Lord went to go pray. And of course, as with all things Catholic, whenever you find a holy site, you build a church on it. We're getting the, we're getting the storyline by now, I think. And so one can go and see, see the garden, walk around the garden, and behold the trees, the trees that are witnesses of the shedding of the blood of the Savior. And then walk a few more feet, and there enter into a beautiful church with the mosaics speaking and showing our Lord in his agony, the blood pouring forth from him, the pain upon his face. One enters in and goes down the center aisle, and in the, in the sanctuary there's uh, the, the rail, and there's a large stone on the floor, and then there's uh, the altar that is placed behind it. And the large stone is just raw stone sticking up out of the floor. And one simply has to lift one's eyes to the apse of the church to be able to see in the sanctuary what the stone is. There a large image of Christ. The three disciples off to the side, enjoying their slumber. Christ there upon the stone, weeping to his Father, bearing the weight of the sin of the world. There people too continued to go today and to be close to Christ in that same place, to throw oneself upon the stone and to weep, whether with actual tears or at least with the tears of one's own heart, for their sins and for the sins of the world, to weep for the sufferings of our Savior, to pray. It's the reality that in so many ways, the truth of sin is far beyond our understanding. But Christ himself knows it. Christ knows the reality of sin, the consequences of sin, the weight of sin, the cost of sin. We don't. So many in the world today think of sin as, as simply breaking a rule. It's, it's just a, a thing, a piece of ink on some paper. It's text. And who among us feels bad about breaking text? Remember, likely recounted before, our, our driver's ed teacher that would make us apologize to the signs uh, for the rules of the road that we broke. And so I had to get out and verbally apologize because she was sitting in the passenger seat. She had to hear you, so you had to verbally apologize in front of your friends in the back seat and all the cars that were passing by to apologize for myself, to apologize to the speed limit sign, which I had broken. I joked about the next time I came, she was going to expect flowers from me. Our director was not so enthused. But the reality is I didn't go home that night and make an act of contrition to a sign. I didn't weep because of a sign. I didn't feel bad because of a sign or a rule or a law. And so many things we treat sin as, as a rule or a law or merely a thing. When in fact, sin damages relationships. It wounds the Savior. So many find it easy to sin because confession exists. We use it as a, a sort of crutch in so many times. The crutch of, of, oh, well, you know, how many of us haven't heard the joke at least, uh, which is a sad joke to say at the very least. You know, oh, well, I know I shouldn't do that, but we'd always go to confession. 
This is a, to- a terrible understanding of the reality of sin. It's like turning to Jesus in the midst of his passion and going, Lord, I know you've gotten, I know you've gotten 38 stripes, but what's one more? No big deal. This is the suffering of our Lord. This is not rules that we break. It's not merely a catechism reference that, that we offend. It is the Almighty God. It is our Maker, our Savior. It is He who has borne our sins for us that we continue to offend and wound. Every time we sin, we wound our relationship with Him. We separate ourselves from the Lord in some way, large or small. We separate ourselves from others, and we even separate ourselves. We disintegrate. We war within our own flesh and spirit. And it's for us to acknowledge these things, not to treat sin as some, as some little thing that's just kind of uh, shrugged off as a, you know, kind of a, uh, erasing, erasing the text off a page from the things that we've done, because every sin wounds the heart of Jesus. Every sin was paid for by Christ in His agony and in His passion. Reflecting on that and the, the reality of, of, of the nature of sin and the immensity of it at the time of the life of our Lord, and certainly knowing that it has been born even since. We know that Adam and Eve, whenever they first sinned, it was, it was the first sin, right? And, and so it had, it had devastating consequences for all of us. But for them, it was, it was a, a sort of slow trickle, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a huge deluge um, to some degree, right? Because it was just the two of them. I was thinking about that with regards to the Mississippi River, right? You know, it's, it starts much further up north, and it's just a little, a little nothing, like a little stream you can walk past. You can walk over it, not even, not even bat an eye, and it's the mouth, it's the starting point of this entire thing. And yet, whenever it rains in Ohio, when it rains in Iowa, when it rains in North Dakota, when it rains in a solid third of our country at least, it all comes to one place, and it's right a few blocks away from us. The entirety of the, of, of the water from our country that falls, if it's not soaked in the ground or evaporated in the air, it passes right through Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and the Mississippi River, which is a raging river. One would be a fool to get in. I've only known one person that I've met that was in the Mississippi River that I got to speak to. The rest of them, I spoke to their relatives at the funeral. It is a serious thing. It is a damaging thing, a fierce thing, and a powerful one. And this is the weight of sin. This sin began as a, as a little trickle, but we know with any family tree, you know, you got two people at the top, and it just starts to balloon and balloon and balloon. And then billions, and the billions haven't ceased. And the sins of every single one of us all go through one man, Jesus Christ. He bore the weight of every one of our sins, of all of humanity. And this is why he sweat blood. The Scriptures tell us that he himself became sin for us. He did not know sin. He did not sin himself, but he became sin, much like the scapegoat. The people of, the people of Israel on the Day of Atonement, they would bring two goats to the temple. They would have two goats. The, priest, the, the people would make a, a confession of their sins. The priest would take it and take it and kind of gather it up uh, like an offertory at Mass, and he would place it upon the head of the goat. 
And they would take the goat and run it out of town to the edge of a hill to, to, to make it run off the hill to die. So that was how they got rid of their sins. They cast them away in the form of a goat, gathering it together, putting it on a particular animal, and sending it away. The other goat didn't really get off that much easier. They just took it to the altar and slayed it and offered it in the altar of God. And Jesus Christ is the scapegoat. He's the one that takes all of the humanity's sins, and they're placed on him. He becomes sin for us. And then he also goes to the altar of the cross to die for us. This he understood in the agony in the garden. It wasn't a surprise to him. He knew it. And in the agony, he bore the full weight of it. He saved us from it. Every one of us deserves the cross and far worse. But Christ died in our place so that we might not have to experience it. And it's for that that we should have sorrow for our sins. It's for that that we should have contrition, a desire to to turn away from them. Not simply to, to let them stay and just be like, oh, well, there's always confession. But rather, to lament our sins, to weep for them and mourn for them, to mourn for what they have cost our Savior, the sins that have been the past, and to pray that we can alleviate some of that by not sinning further in the future. The contrition, a sorrow that wells up within us for the love of God. And so, as we offer this Holy Mass, as we begin this Lenten season, we pray the Lord to help us to see our sins, to know our sins, to understand the weight and the consequence of our sins and the cost of the precious blood of Jesus poured out for us for those sins. We pray that the Lord would give us a true sorrow for them, that we might be able to weep again, whether with the tears of our eyes or those of our heart and turn back to him in love, to console him and to be with him and to resolve for us to sin no more.